Hello and welcome to episode number 46 of Play Me Tape, a show where we delve song by song into the music that means something. I'm joined as always by my good friend Darren. Get the funk out of here. <laughs> and my name is Jake. I will not get the funk out of here. Why not? Staying put. I can't go anywhere anyway because of the lockdown. Yeah, good call. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up, Johnny Downer. Yeah, no kidding. Stop it. People are trying to forget. That's what our podcast is, you know. It's an escape. Right. Do you know that? People want to escape things like the lockdown. Right. Don't get me started. They're escaping into our delightful personalities. Yes. That's a possibility. No, it's not. (laughs) Get confident, stupid. Yeah. Smoke yourself in. How you doing? I'm doing great. All right. It was a nice day. I had a nice, easy, lazy sort of day. Uh, I did a bunch of yard work and stuff this morning. And then I had to do a bunch of stuff running around this afternoon. But overall, it was pretty low energy. So, Wow. Why don't you walk us through that step by step so we get all of it? Do you want more? (laughs) I could give you more. I think we all want more in excruciating detail. (laughs) Easy now. What'd you do, jerk? Nothing. Nothing. You did nothing. <laughs> you did absolutely nothing. It's like it's like when the kids used to come home from school. How's your day? Fine. What'd you do? Nothing. You did nothing. You learned nothing today at school? You learned zero? Why am I sending you? What am I paying for? I remember, but the flip side of that coin, though, is I remember what a hassle it seemed like to have to go over the things that you learned that day. Ugh, so stupid. None of it matters. Yeah, I read a thing the other day that kind of relates to that. Not necessarily relaying the thing, but um, the fact that we had to learn the Pythagorean theorem and how much that really helps me at tax time. How much it helps you. Well, I was going to say something that is so wildly out of date that I'm not going to say it anymore. Well, now you have to say it. Balancing your checkbook. <laughs> Remember when that, that is... was a thing? When we used to be concerned about children not knowing how to balance their checkbook? Did you ever balance a checkbook? I, uh, no. No, me either. No. I understood what I had in the account. If that's balancing yeah. a checkbook, then I guess I did. Yeah. But did I ever do it on paper? No, sir. No, me either. Still not balanced. It's a little lopsided. Wow. So, music? Do you want to discuss music? I don't have a list today. Oh, really? Yeah, there's no, we're, we're breaking tradition. There's no list this week. What I wanted to do instead yes. was talk about the great lost episode. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners... This is not the original episode 46. Episode 46 was intended to be something very different than what you will hear today. Today we're going to get down with the funk. Mm. But the original intent was to get all bluesy with it. And that episode will not see the light of day. You blew it! (laughs) (laughs) Hey man, this is like a safe space, so if we could avoid assigning blame finger pointing and such well i think a lot of it can be blamed on me so (laughs) (laughs) 
I'll accept responsibility for that. The original intent of the episode was to do something that was a little outside of our comfort zone. And I think today's episode still is that. Wouldn't you say is. this is this is outside of what we normally talk about? This is outside of the genres that we normally delve into. Definitely. And that's cool. And I'm really excited about today's song and today's album and to talk about the band and personalities and so forth. Last week's episode was something similar. It was intended to be about Robert Johnson and a specific song called Crossroad Blues, his history and the songs that he recorded, which still survive and were very influential to a whole cross-section of pop and R&B and rock and metal musicians. Fair, would you say? Yeah, hugely influential. I mean, half of Led Zeppelin's albums, I think, were originally written by Robert Johnson. <laughs> yes, that's an exaggeration, but honestly, uh, a lot of it felt We'll have very... to ask the hot man about that. Yeah, good call. He'll know. He'll know. So what happened? So what happened was the episode, in truth, wasn't very good from the get-go. And I think that's fair. I think that's valid to say. I think it was a little info dump. It was a little information heavy. It just, we got off to a rocky start, which is fine, which is fine because sometimes we do. Sometimes we take more than one take. I know, I know it doesn't sound like there's a lot of polish in these episodes, but believe it or not, there are episodes that we do that we edit very heavily to make them as palatable as possible to you, the listener. Fair? Yes. Yeah, we take out a lot of crap sometimes. Yeah. We like to yap. We do like to yap. Good Lord. So sometimes we remove 10, 15, even 20 minutes of material. Mm -hmm. So we don't bore you more. Is that fair? Yeah. So it wasn't the most compelling episode, even though the stories surrounding Robert Johnson are compelling and are interesting. Yeah, the lateness of the hour combined with the reliance on notes that I had taken got us off to a slow start and we started to change tack a little bit and started to talk lyrics. We talked about some of the lyrics because if nothing else, Robert Johnson was a lyricist who really appreciated metaphor pertaining to sexual Congress. I don't even know what that means. I'm, I'm sitting here trying to figure out what it even means. Sex. Sex. Uh, when he's talking in phonograph blues about how they played the phonograph and he played it on the sofa and they played it side the wall. I mean, you tell me. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm, yeah, okay. Thanks, Rob. So where did, where did the train come off the track? Where did you get to a point where you, you said, there's something that to me stood out so much that I can't continue without discussing it. Well, um, so the song you had chosen was Crossroad Blues, right? True. Great song. I mean, I like Robert Johnson. I hadn't listened to a ton of stuff, but I knew enough and had listened to enough over the years. I knew who he was. I didn't know a lot of the story or anything like that, but I was really interested to hear what it was about and... I knew that you would do research on it. You would bring a lot of stuff. And you had actually asked me 
to listen to a few songs. I think four songs in total. I think six songs. Six songs. Yeah, they're short songs. Yeah. Yeah, they're, his longest song is three minutes in length. So. And I don't even remember the name of the song. What was the name of the song that I that I brought up? Me and the Devil Blues. Me and the Devil Blues. Okay, so I had listened to this song, and, and while we were talking in the episode, you had mentioned all the popular artists. Starting with Bob Dylan, Eric yep. Clapton, yep. Led Zeppelin, <clears throat> and it just, the list goes on and on. It struck me as odd because I couldn't get out of my head listening to this one song. And I just so happened to be listening to this in the backyard. My wife and I were cleaning up and and that around the pool, listening to this music. And he started singing about beating his woman until he was satisfied. Uh That did not sit well with me. You know, here is somebody who is revered by all these popular people yet nothing had ever been mentioned about this issue i saw it as an issue regardless of the time that the the song was made or or anything like that if you're singing about beating women until you're satisfied i'm gonna take issue with that Mm -hmm. so i brought it up and i asked you and that clearly was a brick wall oh yeah i i had i had i had nothing prepared it was a question and a point that came completely out of left field and I had no place to go with it. And it's a, it's a, it's a funny thing because I've known these songs since high school. It struck me as, as being really odd. I seemed to blindside you uh-huh. like, like you hadn't noticed. Uh-huh. That was odd to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of, I want to say three inferences to domestic violence spread throughout Robert Johnson's songs. And we're talking about 29 songs total. Yeah. So it's, you know, 10% of his output has, um, has lyrics that relate to this in some way. For example, I have just pulled up the lyrics to 3220 blues. And we, I think we talked about this in the episode, Yeah, we did. but this isn't a song that, I had you listen to, and I'm not sure if you've ever heard it. I don't think so. But a 3220 is a gauge of shotgun. Okay. So it's it's funny because, yep, he's talking about shooting his wife, girlfriend, other. That's what the song is about. I've got a shotgun. I will shoot her. So in the second verse, you get, and if she gets unruly and thinks she don't want to, take my 3220 now and cut her half in two. It's a powerful gun, clearly. Now, here's the funny thing. The following verse, she's got a 38 special, but I believe it's most too light. I got a 3220. Got to make the caps all right. So he's he's saying that she's also armed. <laughs> she has her own pistol, but he, he's not super afraid of it because it's just a 38 special. It's no biggie. It's not a shotgun like, like what he's packing. Right. It's a really, really odd song. If I send for my baby man and she don't come, all the doctors in hot springs sure can't help her none. It's dark. It's really dark. It sure is. It might be metaphor and it might be character work, but we don't know. It's very uncomfortable. In the context of Me and the Devil Blues, the song starts off with him talking about how he woke up that morning 
someone had rung his bell. He answers the door. And I said, hello, Satan. I believe it's time to go. <sighs> Given the backstory of Robert Johnson, he's sold his soul to the devil for his prodigious talent. That's kind of disputed historically. So what's the song about? Has the devil come to collect him because he's a bad man? Has the devil come to collect him because he's collecting on the debt of this deal? Or is his walking side by side with the devil an excuse for his bad behavior? Hmm. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's, I yeah. mean, who knows? Who actually yeah. knows the answer to that? Uh, Robert Johnson. Exactly. And maybe no one else. Who died at the age of? 27. 27. Member of the 27 Club. Yeah, I mean, I, maybe it is metaphor. I still don't think it's okay. I know arguments can be made for time and place, right? This was what year? The song was recorded in either 1936 or 1937. Yeah. So you could make a case that, okay, this was how things were back then. Still doesn't seem okay to me. I don't think that's a good case. And I don't no, think that's what's no. necessarily going on. And I, I, it's, it's also not a song that you get any sense of advocacy about. It's not a song where it sounds like he's glorifying or advocating what he's doing. No, although no. He, although he uses the term satisfy. Right. I'm going to my I, woman until I get satisfied. Yeah. To me, that's, that's, I think, where it crosses the line. So the funny thing is uh, I had read the liner notes for this massive box set that I had gotten in high school on cassette, mind you. <laughs> Do you remember cassette box sets? What Whoa. a waste of time. <laughs> What the hell? Cassette. I didn't even know that was a thing. It sure was. I'd read the liner notes. I had seen the Ralph Macchio movie Crossroads that largely tells and retells the story and the legend. I'd done a tremendous amount of reading prior to the episode recording. I'd listened to almost a half a dozen different retrospective YouTube documentaries that I was able to find from various sources. So it's a lot of material to look through. Not once has the issue been raised. Not once had anyone anything to say on the matter. It just didn't come up as a subject. It didn't come up as a thing that anyone had a complaint about or that it was atypical or strange or an interesting facet of Johnson's songbook. It just was, it's a, simply a non-issue. It's invisible. A, it was really interesting that you brought it up. And B, it's also really interesting that only you brought it up. <laughs> you know? Sorry. Uh, had I not brought it up, that episode probably would have been episode 46. Listen, we hear a million songs and there's questionable stuff in a lot of them. Yeah. But... This one really, really stood out to me. And I think it's what we touched on is the fact that he says, I'm going to beat my woman till I'm satisfied. Yeah. And that's batshit crazy to me. Who says that? Who does that? Heroes? I don't think so. People who are revered because they're talented? I don't so think so. So one of your specific issues was, how does someone like that become idolized by... So many iconic musicians of any given era. Yeah. How? 
How does it get glossed over? Part of what I wonder is, you know, this is a character within the song. And I don't think he's talking about himself. But it's so hard to know because so little of what the guy's life looked like hasn't survived. It's really hard to overemphasize just how unknown he was in his own time. Nobody knew who he was until 1961 when someone collected some of these existing recordings onto vinyl. Yeah. Before that, uh, there were some singles that were entirely localized. Very little of it had been heard by anyone. His listening audience was quite literally people who happened to hear him play live. We're talking about an extremely, extremely small sphere of influence. There isn't much documented about his life. There's some, and there are certainly people that knew him or some of his family survived him, but so much of it is speculation and so much of it is either poorly remembered or has been mythologized in ways that weren't accurate or were based on erroneous information at the time. It's really difficult to pin down his actual life story and his actual history. So is the song about I'm walking alongside the devil or is the song again, metaphor like the sexual metaphor in his other songs, I act out, I behave badly. It's the devil's fault. See, he's here walking side by side with me. I think it's important to make note that the blues often plums strange and dark subjects. It's the blues. It's the blues for a reason. It's looking into tragedy and despair and heartbreak. So one of the things that you ask me is, well, is this common in blues? This topic specifically? <laughs> it comes up. I know that. What I also know is that it's not written of very frequently because I looked and there's not a great deal written about it. But I know it comes up. Violence comes up all over the place in the blues. And again, it's just, it's plumbing those dark depths of the human psyche, of the soul, to be grandiose. Yeah. Uh, okay. Would it prevent you from listening to the song again? Would it prevent you from buying any of his stuff? What's, wh where has it left you now that you've heard it? And now that you've said, Hey, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can even listen to that. Again. Like, is that where you are? You can't listen to it again. Are you done with that? Yeah. I don't need to listen to that song ever again. Right. I wouldn't say that I would shut him off completely. You know, something came up and. I just, I think I will always be left with the feeling of, I don't like that. Yeah. That doesn't leave me feeling good. And, right. And like I said, there's lyrics about everything in life. And some of it is extremely dark. But I guess if something hits you the wrong way, it's going to stay with you and and leave you with an uneasy feeling the next time you approach it. So one of the songs that I equated to, not a Robert Johnson song, but one of the songs that I sort of thought about with this alongside of this was Hey Joe by Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. You mentioned that in the episode. Yeah. But he's singing about... Joe was the villain. Right. He's singing yeah. about Joe and that's the difference. Now, do we know if Robert Johnson is singing about himself? Well, he is singing in the first person. Right. But we don't have any reason to believe or suspect that 
it's drawn from personal experience. We just don't know. Yeah, you just and I'm not saying know. that we, I, I'm not saying we have reason to doubt it either. We, we simply don't have any documentation. Well, I also think going back to the whole time and place thing that it was more common during that time. You know, I don't think women near, had nearly the, the place that they have today in society. And so I think it was, you know, unfortunately more common. And that's why I, I don't question whether it was him or not. I, I do kind of feel like, yeah, this was something that happened. I don't know. I, I guess I have a daughter. Yeah. I have a wife. I have a mother. I guess I just feel like that it's just that kind of stuff is not okay. It will never be okay. It was never okay. If anybody ever had to go through anything like that. And, and that has a lot of weight to it. And when I hear it, I don't like it. Yeah. I never have. And I never will. And if you're going to sing about it, I don't really want to hear it. Right. And I, I, it, it really struck me as odd that nobody has ever talked about this. M maybe they have. I just, I didn't, I didn't go through a long and arduous search, but a couple of simple Google searches brought up not a lot. Maybe an article, maybe one. There isn't a lot written about it. It's really, really fascinating. I can't be the only one. Well, no, like I said, I found an article. Yeah. That touched on it as a topic. And, and. So you are not, but statistically, I mean, in all the readings I did, I read a lot of articles <laughs> and I listened to a lot of YouTube documentaries. Oh man, his story is so interesting in so many ways that I was interested to hear all these different takes and all these different perspectives. That song is one of a trilogy of songs about his supposed damnation, his supposed selling of his own soul. Spoiler <laughs> for the future episode <laughs> that we still may or may not do. I don't know. It's one of three songs that are pointed to when people talk about this mythology surrounding him about him selling his soul to the devil in exchange for song and guitar talent. Uh, this is what the Ralph Macchio movie was about. Ralph Macchio and an old blues man go to Mississippi so that they can go and visit the crossroads. The old blues man is a harmonica player and he had done the same thing that Robert Johnson did. He was a contemporary of Robert Johnson. It's a great movie. If you haven't seen it, it's a lot of fun. It's Ralph Macchio circa Karate Kid too. So, <laughs> you know, if you can tolerate Ralph Macchio in that era, sure, have at it. It's a fun movie. Uh, but he goes down to Mississippi, to the crossroads, to make a similar deal. Only this time, instead of selling his soul, he wants his soul back. He wants to bargain to get his soul back from the devil. And so Ralph Macchio, as the guitar prodigy, has to... Well, there's a guitar battle with Steve Vai. I don't want to spoil anything. <laughs> <laughs> but it's awesome. But, I mean, that's the history and that's the legacy. And when, when people talk about Robert Johnson, they either know the Led Zeppelin and the Bob Dylan and the Eric Clapton, I suppose background or they know the supposed deal made at the crossroads with the devil you know these are one of two things that people tend to if they know anything about robert johnson at all it's it's one of these two things yeah amongst the whole storyline amongst that whole backdrop when you're 
when you're talking about a character that's damned, I guess it never stood out for me. And I suppose the 3220 blues is the one that I always looked at as, Oh, that's, it's a hell of a song to have written. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that was the one that stood out to me far more, but it, I, for some reason it just, you know, here's, here's a guy that's, that's singing again and again about how he's sinking down. And there are other interpretations of that song. I don't want to get into it because that's, <laughs> that's that episode. Yeah. But there are other interpretations of Crossroad Blues, for example, that point to it being about something else and not actually about this supposed mythology. And that's every bit as dark as, as the deal with the devil story that's grown around it. But I, you know, I guess in the context of, a man who is damned. Do you think because people were so enamored with him and his talents that that stuff sometimes, you know, the faults get pushed aside because they're so focused on, oh, you know, he's so good. Yeah. Okay. He did some questionable things, but we're just gonna, we're just gonna gloss over that stuff because of the time that it happened. Hang on. (laughs) You're, you're assuming that he did these things and I'm saying there's no reason and we have no earthly reason to assume that any, anything like that happened in his lifetime. But I think it goes both ways. We have no reason to assume that he did. We have no reason to assume that he didn't. Fair. But he wrote a song called Terraplane Blues about his terraplane, which is a car. Sure. We have no reason to believe that he owned a terraplane. You know what I mean? Like he's simply writing songs. And yeah. these may be things that he saw firsthand. These may be things that he heard tell of as people talk amongst themselves, as community gossip grows. And these also might be things that, yeah, are first person for him, but we don't know. Now, on the one hand, I would point to Eric Clapton. I would point to Eric Clapton or I would point to Keith Richards. Their interest was clearly first and foremost guitar i believe it was keith richards who when played johnson for the first time said okay yeah that sounds interesting but who's playing with him and he didn't understand that what was being played was one single guitarist well the legacy of johnson as a guitarist has weight that weight is felt by clapton and keith richards and that's fair but by the same token Dylan was taken with his lyricism. Dylan wasn't nearly as taken with his guitar work. Dylan was there for the lyrics. And Dylan said it was his lyricism, Johnson's, that opened him up and made him go places in his own songwriting that he wouldn't necessarily have gone to. He feels that had he not come to Johnson in 1961 when he first heard it, he wouldn't have been as open to tell some of the things that he told lyrically. Hmm. I get that. Yeah. I mean, there's an honesty to it. There's no doubt. And I can see that as saying, oh, wow, listen to what this guy is singing about. Mm -hmm. This is not your typical stuff. So as a, a burgeoning songwriter, you hear this and you think, wow, this guy is getting deep and dark into stuff. Maybe I should do the same. And I understand all that. I I get it. 
and I guess I'm assuming that he is singing in the first person that he did experience these things and he is okay with what he did. And that's all assumptions, you know, nobody truly knows mm-hmm. at this point. He died a young man. And like you but said, it's troublesome enough for you that it is the thought it is. that it might be yeah, I don't like reality. It. I don't like it. Yeah. I don't, wow. I don't like it. It doesn't make me happy. So, and it was enough to completely stomp all over your episode. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, on like we Getting talked the ground about, to a halt on that one. Yeah. Well, we talked about it afterwards and, and I had said, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I crapped all over your episode and you're like, no, don't, don't feel sorry for the way you feel about something. Which I appreciate because I don't feel sorry for the way I feel about it. I really wanted to come back in in lieu of a list. I really wanted to come back and talk about it. Yeah. I guess when it comes right down to it, if there's something uncomfortable in in music, in literature, in movies, or whatever, I never want it to be glossed over. I never, ever want it to be okay. I always want somebody to mention it or talk about it. And if I miss it and somebody brings it up to me, then I'm, I'm happy about that. And I don't, I don't think you were necessarily happy about it, but I do think you, uh, understood where it came from and, and appreciated that that was the way I felt about it, whether, whether it was right or wrong, certain things, certain things I am, very 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 strong on this is one of them this is this is a big one for me and it's always something that's made me uncomfortable and in this case it it just was it boiled to the surface and i just kind of went it took away enjoyment for you from listening it did yeah simple as that it took the fun out of listening and not just that it made me question everything why is this guy so universally beloved. beloved, yeah, praised. I don't, I don't get it. It kind of, kind of wrecked it for me. I think that'll always sort of be there. So yeah, are you ready to move on to a positive topic? Sure, I sure <laughs> am. Holy moly, yeah, that's a tough discussion. Yeah, but I'm glad we had it, and I, yeah, I'm glad you brought it here to have it that we actually recorded it because I think it's important. So let's move on. Let's move on to some good stuff. Episode. We're going to funk things up. Well, kind of. (laughs) What? We went from a down discussion to a not exactly upbeat funk song. (laughs) No. We're going after the funk. And one of the things that we wanted to do, uh, one of the things I wanted to do was to touch on this song to bring this song into the spotlight because I've mentioned it so many times now. I've mentioned it, I think, three different times in our episodes. Yeah, Eddie Hazel's guitar on this song is just so powerful. And I've made mention of it just two or three episodes ago when we were talking about artists that were able to imbue their instrument. And in this case, it was Shannon Hoon's voice on Three is a Magic Number artists that were able to imbue their instrument with emotion and they weren't doing it by shredding and using a lot of technical prowess, but they were just able to get 
that emotionality across to the listener through, I don't know, <laughs> talent, magic. I don't know. This is one of those songs. This is one of those artists. The guitarist, as I said, is named Eddie Hazel. The band is Funkadelic. The song is Maggot Brain. Now, I don't know what the intent is. I don't know if you will include the entire song or if you will include a portion of the song. But I f- whatever the case is. I feel that I should play the whole song because it's worth listening to the whole okay. song. So fair warning, it's this a- is a long track. Yeah. It's a 10-minute song. And if we're being honest and being upfront and putting our cards on the table, it's more or less a 10-minute guitar solo. Yeah. That may or may not be a turnoff for some people. I hope it isn't because it is just heartbreakingly amazing. It is just, you know, what? well, we'll, we'll talk about what the emotion is yeah. because we know what the emotion is after we've heard it. Cool. So, Hey, Darren. Yes, Jake. Play me tape. Mother Earth is pregnant for the third time, for y'all have knocked her up. I have tasted the maggots in the mind of the universe. I was not offended, for I knew I had to rise above it all, or drown in my own shit.
that was Maggot Brain by Funkadelic. So you've, like you said, you had mentioned this song a few times. I'd never heard it. Really? Really. And to be quite honest, um, I know the name George Clinton or Clinton, but I did not know about Funkadelic. Okay. I'd heard, I'd heard of Parliament, which is the other band, but Mm -hmm. I, I'd never actually heard of Funkadelic for some unknown reason. I don't know why. And I, I came in with a very, very open mind. You had talked about the song, how much you loved it. So there was some high expectations for sure. Uh Oh, Oh, I hear a butt coming. (laughs) No, no. Uh, so I listened to it and on first listen, it's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. There is no doubt. So I listened to it again and was able to take in a lot more on second listen. And then I listened to it again. Mm -hmm. And it was the third listen that got me. Really? It was the third listen that I had goosebumps that I really got it. And I went, holy mackerel, this is phenomenal. It took a couple of tries, but I knew there was something there. I knew there was, and I knew it deserved the extra listens. It wasn't just a, oh, I'm going to listen to this one time. And you're talking, I invested a half an hour. Yeah. Three listens is 30 minutes. Three listens is 30 minutes. Yeah. I will say it did not feel like a 10 minute song. Right. Because you just get lost in it. Yeah. First listen, I was almost, I was almost indifferent to it on first listen. And I, I want to say that as a, almost as a warning, if you're going to listen to this song, don't judge it on the first time. Unless of course you totally love it. Unless it grabs you right away. Yeah, unless it grabs you right <laughs> which it away. Did, which it did me. Yeah. Holy Toledo. It was a lot. There is an effect put on that guitar, mm-hmm. on Eddie Hazel's guitar, that is just insane. The echoplex, I see. Holy mackerel. Is that what it's called? Because, yeah. yeah. man, it is spectacular. It, yeah. it takes phenomenal guitar work to the next level. The whole time I'm talking about this, dude, I have goosebumps like you wouldn't believe. Really? Because it just floored me and and I kept thinking you know you talked about that emotion and I'm gonna let you explain you know the setup for it and how he got that emotion or what the catalyst was for it dude I loved it I think it's amazing okay so the first question the first follow-up question I'm gonna ask just to tack on to what you were saying sure you listened to the track on Spotify yes and so it's the first track of Maggot Brain, the album. Yeah. Okay. So the version of it that I have is the iTunes version, and it includes a bonus track. And I don't know if that's available on Spotify, but it's worth looking at. If you look at the final track on that, if it matches up with my version, then what you get is an alternate take of that song. So when it was initially recorded, Eddie Hazel, who's a younger member of Funkadelic. In fact, George Clinton had an exceptional eye for talent. And he would pull talent in and didn't care where it came from. 
didn't care who you were. If you brought the goods in, you come, I want you, I want you on board. If you can bring that level, I don't care who you are. And the problem was early on, Eddie Hazel was 17. <laughs> so no kidding. that seemed like a, yeah. So that seemed like a bit of a problem. Um, but Clinton didn't care. Just get him in the band. I know this guy can produce. And he did. He's also known as a very sensitive, if not the most sensitive member of that particular lineup, such that they shared vocal duties. There were a, the Parliament Funkadelic P Funk, P Funk All Stars collective was really more like i say a collective than a band by the end by the time that it finally really dissolved you know you're talking about dozens of people yeah they had a lot not five of people or six. come through yeah and he was considered one of the more sensitive members of the arrangement and so he shared vocal duties and there were times when he wasn't considered a good choice to sing because the songs would make him emotional and he would cry mid vocal, you know, that's the level of sensitivity. So wow. they were known as an outfit, a band, a grouping to dabble in illicit substances. I don't think I'm telling tales out of school here. Uh, no, <laughs> they're very, they're very upfront. When Eddie Hazel came into the studio that day, he was a little down in the dumps, they said. He was just not on, and they recognized it. And George Clinton is an exceptional leader and is a guy who consistently, according to everybody, is a guy that can make things happen, is a guy that can find the sound and find the root. Whatever the root is, like your lyric paired with your this or paired with this guitar lick paired with ba 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 he he's like he, he's the director who can put together the scene in the absolutely perfect way and he'll go about things using this odd lateral thinking methodology where he'll just come at something from an angle that no one sees coming one of his things you know they talk about how he'll look around and things aren't clicking and he'll say something along the lines of something that just seems bass backwards. And he'll say, who's the worst singer among you? Uh, that would be Dave. Dave, you're up next. It's your <laughs> turn to sing. You know what I mean? Like he yeah. would just take whatever the, the least conventional approach is, whatever, just the most creative approach. And he just had the ability to find that. And so when Eddie came into the studio that day, I mean, George is tripping balls already. <laughs> It sounds like they did a lot of drugs. Eddie might have been too. I don't know. But he just was not in a good mood. And they spotted it. And George said, yep, that's it. We're going to take Eddie's mood. We're going to push it to the farthest extent that we can. And we're going to make something happen. So Clinton surrounded him with amps, Marshall amps, and pulled him aside. And he said... Someone, whoever the rhythm guitarist is, put together a melody, which you hear repeated through a, yeah. the entire song. And it's beautiful. It is. And he works, the, the rhythm guitar works on that throughout the entire song. And so someone had come up with that. And so George said, I want you to take that 
and I just want you to play. But while you're playing, this is what you should be thinking. Your mother has just died. Where does your life go? Pew. How do you feel? What is your next step? What does the rest of your life look like? <laughs> Get into that headspace. Oh, Get into that feeling and just play that. And that's what he did. He sure did. And you feel everything. It's unbelievable to me. One reviewer referred to it as Funkadelic's A Love Supreme, which, again, you know, <laughs> I don't want to say I told you so, but a couple of episodes when it came up, I mentioned Coltrane as one of those artists who has that ability to imbue that emotionality into his instrument, in his case, a saxophone. This guy referred to it as their A Love Supreme. But where that analogy fails is a love supreme is the exact polar opposite emotionally speaking it's joyous and you get that it's a joyous song to listen to the whole album frankly really pushes that button and it's just you know you're just floating on <laughs> good feelings yeah this not so much this less so yeah it is so heartbreaking and so raw and somehow not only does he take you to that place, but he sustains it for 10 minutes. I don't get, I don't get bothered when listening to it. I know what the emotionality is and I feel it, but I don't, it doesn't, it doesn't crush my mood. It doesn't take me to a down that I can't get back out of, yeah. if that makes sense. Yep. And sometimes you, you hear a song and it can just crush your mood Yep, almost by itself. And this doesn't do that to me. And I don't know how, because you feel like it should. Knowing everything that we know about the song, you feel like, oh my God, this should just, this should just deaden your mood. This should really kill your momentum. Well, that's it. I'm going back to bed. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it, it realistically, it feels like it should have that effect on you. And it doesn't. And it leads into the rest of the album, which is awesome and funky and amazing it feels like it should just kill all momentum and yet it doesn't as i started to say clinton had him surrounded by martial amps and they had a rhythm guitar that melody that plays throughout if you listen hard enough there's drums and there's a bass one of the decisions that clinton made was to dial that back into the audio mix so the emphasis is on two. This whole song could really be two guitars. The drums are almost irrelevant. Yeah, they're barely the bass there. Is barely there yeah. at all. You really have to struggle to hear the bass. It's there, but you really have to struggle to hear it. That alternate track that I mentioned off the top mixes those back in. Uh. So it's an interesting listen, and it's nowhere near as powerful a song. Yeah, interesting, and. The, you had me listen to a bunch of other songs on the album. Nothing has the same feel as Maggot no, Brain. It's nothing. Not even it's close. It's very different. It is. Yeah. It's a it's a very different It's a more traditional kind of funk sort of album. In fact, the album starts funky because there are lyrics to it, but only in the very, very beginning when it starts with a monologue from George Clinton himself. There are some words in the song. He does yeah. say maggot brain. 
Yeah, at the, towards the end towards of the, the song, end, yeah, you hear in the background, and it's George Clinton himself again saying, "Go on, maggot brain. Go on, maggot brain." Yeah. Supposedly, Hazel's nickname was Maggot Brain. Ah, okay. Now the preamble, George Clinton, before the music even starts. Yeah, it's George Clinton speaking out of the silence, and he says, "Mother Earth is pregnant for the third time. For y'all have knocked her up. Yeah, I have tasted the maggots in the mind of the universe, and <laughs> I was not offended, for I knew I had to rise above it all, or drown in my own shit." It's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> and and that verse is is the bumper that starts off the song. Which, you know, it's it's George Clinton being George Clinton. And and then the song proper starts. And and so if you look at that, that opening verse, what is he even talking about? I wondered that all three times. Yeah. What in the hell? What is he saying? Yeah. It sounds cool. What are you saying? The whole black guys in the 70s could really hit the word shit hard <laughs> <laughs> and make it magical. Yeah he really hits it and if we really have to go here um mother earth is pregnant for the third time for y'all have knocked her up i've tasted the maggots in the mind of the universe the interpretation seems generally to be that we are making a mess of things whether that's socio-politically or whether that's ecologically probably it's both because he starts with mother earth yeah they all fit and the message, the overarching message seems to be we have to rise above or we'll drown in it. It's a relatively positive message, but it's a bittersweet message because it recognizes that as much as we need to find a solution, we're not in a good place. Is the overall theme of the song what he explained to Hazel? Is the overall emotion of the song meant to be? about the imagined death or is the overall song intended to to wake us up to the plight of not just the planet but it's people who are failing <laughs> in so many important respects socially and politically so it didn't work then how do you mean well we're all still making the same stupid mistakes right so well he, he tried to tune <laughs> us in in what the early 70s Seven, 1971 yeah. yeah yeah nice work earth yeah. Way to go, people. Way to go, humanity. Yeah. You're really screwing yeah. things up. George Clinton, as you say. Um, Clinton. Never not be funny. Uh, he got his start in New Jersey. New Jersey? New Jersey. Was he hanging out with Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons? <laughs> he was not. Hmm. What had happened was, at about the age of 12, Clinton sees Frankie Lyman and the teenagers on television. And he, along with everybody in his neighborhood and probably a lot of urban neighborhoods, decided that they'd all go off and start doo-wop bands. And that's where he started. At the time, as he says, <laughs> doo-wop bands were only named after three things. Birds, cars, and smokes. <laughs> so he picked a cigarette brand, Parliament Cigarettes, and he called his doo-wop group the Parliaments. Nice. Too bad he didn't pick Chesterfields. <laughs> it's not it's not a term for sofa everywhere. <laughs> I think that's only in Canada. Is that a Canadian I regional? Have, I have no idea. 
peculiarity? I don't know. I think so. I think that's a Canadian thing. No, it's an American cigarette brand. It is an American cigarette brand. Yeah. George Clinton has been around a long time. He's still alive. He's still touring. He's still making music. Is it P- it's a huge Is it P-Funk? Is he still touring legacy. with P-Funk or does he tour as George Clinton? The last time I heard in, in the early 2010s, he was touring as P-Funk. Yeah, I think so. But what had happened was he was working in a barbershop and they were working on their doo-wop sound and they decided to do what everybody who thinks that they're on the verge of making it does. And they went to Detroit. They went to Barry Gordy's office. You know, I mean, you do that. That's what you do. And they didn't make it onto a major label. They were considered to be sounding too much like the Temptations, I believe. They were picked up by a smaller independent label as the Parliaments. And they had a moderate hit early on. But there was something about the scene in Detroit. It wasn't unusual to have a bill where it was the Stooges and the MC5 and Parliament playing the same bill. Yeah. Nobody thought twice. Crazy. Yeah. They leaned hard into rock and they really appreciated the sound and they really liked um, the aesthetic of it. There was some trouble with their equipment and what they realized was they needed to borrow some. And so the members of Vanilla Fudge were playing the same venue and said, hey... (laughs) As long as you don't mess it up, you can play our stuff. The Vanilla Fudge guys had really high-end gear. So by the end of the show, they were like, wow. (laughs) And they started getting Marshall amps. They started experimenting with pedals and just using all the stuff that these guys had. That They were like, this is incredible. Like, why weren't we using this uh, this sort of gear? The label they were on went into financial problems and so suddenly the name the parliaments was off the table they were not allowed to use it and so they rebranded as funkadelic for another label warner i believe now you have funkadelic who's releasing two or three albums uh Magabrain is the third release a few years later george is working all the time and all he wants to do is produce music you know we're not on this earth for a long time he just wants to crank out as much as possible So he goes to Casablanca Records. The name is freed up. So he brings back Parliament. So now he has the band, the same band, recording for two different labels under two different names, Parliament and Funkadelic. They're the same people. At one point, George Clinton had a stable of artists stretched across five record labels. The same people. The same collective, his collective of people producing albums under a variety of different titles and monikers across five different labels. You had Casablanca Records, you had Warner Brothers Records, you had Atlantic, Arista, and whatever the other one was. (laughs) But I mean, it was a huge volume of output. If you ever go and look up on all music, if you look up um, Funkadelic, if you look up Parliament, just those two bands alone and look at the quantity of output, it's every year it crossed over to two bands. It's multiple albums every year. Plus you had at least three further side projects. And again, it was growing all the time. They managed to bring in Bootsy Collins when Bootsy Collins was fired from um, the James Brown band. 
He brought in a few JB members, didn't he? Yeah, there were a few of them that came in. Um, Bootsy Collins is probably the most well-known. Yeah. To people from our generation, what is he known for? Delight. Groove is in the heart. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Groove is in the heart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Bootsy came in and, and his thing was playing on the one. And I didn't, I wasn't quite sure what that meant, but it's literally first note, first bar. Right. You know, you put the emphasis on that downbeat right at the beginning. Give up the phone. You know, like it's it's that it's sure. that hitting it hard right on the one. It's the opposite of the Beastie Boys hitting it on the four. Yes, yeah, and it was supposed to it was supposed to for them embody this universality, this this whole thing about we're all one, we're all together, and and you get that emphasis at the beginning that lets everybody in, and it opens things up for everybody. And they, you know, again, there's a lot of LSD flowing. <laughs> Did you know George Clinton from his solo years? Because the first time I heard George Clinton was Atomic Dog when that got play on Much Music. Do you remember how popular that song was? I don't, but that's probably... Wow, 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 yippee, yo, yippee. Yes, of course. That's the George yeah. Clinton. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the first time I saw his name written. That was the first song that I heard. And I remember really liking that song at the time because the video was so crazy and it was it was using really early computer graphics right i wanted to ask you all the bands and all the the music that he was putting out was it all essentially in the funk genre or was he crossing genres it was all funky different configurations of the band using different names had supposedly recognizably different music. Although I think it's more to do with the fact that every album sounded a little different from every other album, if that makes sense. So Maggot Brain doesn't sound like a Parliament album so much. But I also don't think it sounds like the Funkadelic album that preceded it. You know what I mean? Yep. Now, there is some stuff about that. They really did, for as long as Funkadelic was performing, they really stayed in that zone of funk-based rock. I mean, it was a rock band. Funkadelic was rock. And Parliament got a little trippier, and it was a little more focused on vocals, a little less focused on guitar, maybe a little more focused on other technologies. Parliament, I believe, George Clinton is sort of bragged about, and not without reason, but he sort of talked about how on a, on a Parliament track, it was the first track that used a synthesizer to simulate bass. And I can't for the life of me remember the track, but it was the first time that a bass line was performed not using a string. Cool. Yeah. As they progressed, Parliament had big hits. They got Money Rolling In. They had Casablanca Records behind them. Any idea who else was on Casablanca? No. Kiss. Shut up. Kiss was on Casablanca up until Creatures of the Night. Casablanca also had Donna Summer... And they were a really, really cool, weird little label run by a guy named Bogart. Ha ha ha, Casablanca, get it? Ha ha ha. (laughs) He always seemed to share the vision of whatever the band was going for. He, He tended to get things and he tended to want to let the artists pursue whatever they were feeling at any given time. So... When Kiss came in and said, we want huge, lavish stage shows, he's like, all right, I can see it. I get it. 
and he let them chase that. And, and Parliament did the exact same thing. If you've ever seen the album cover for Mothership Connection, there's a spaceship on the album cover. What they wanted was to bring that into the stage show. They wanted, and this is 1975, cool. mind you. They wanted a spaceship to descend from the rafters that George would exit from <laughs> That's awesome. mid performance. Oh my God. That's amazing. And it just was mind blowing. I mean, their performances were already these long, sometimes they could be three or four hours long because the whole thing was just a jam and, and they were having fun and the more fun they were having, ideally the more fun you'd be having. And so they were these huge party-like atmospheres, these performances. Famously, early on, George would go out in uh, a robe. And it wasn't really a robe so much as it was just a bed sheet that had been wrapped around him. And underneath, he was stark naked. And so things would swoop around and he would, you know, the robe would open up. And, <laughs> and there they were. And there it all, it's all It's all there. All there for the world to see. But the idea was that it was this insane freedom on stage that yeah. anything could happen. I, the, the comparison being on the same record label as kiss isn't, isn't an insane comparison because they just both seem to have this overarching desire to leave the fans wowed, exhausted after a show yeah. to come away seeing saying I've seen something. And with each album, Clinton was heavily blown away by Sgt. Pepper's. He was really heavily influenced by that album when he first heard it. One of the things that he took from it was the idea of formulating and building these concept albums. And one of the other things that occurred to him is, you know, Bugs Bunny is forever. You've got characters like that, that are IP that are just forever. Bugs Bunny will outlive any person. Yep. It's an icon. Eventually, when you look through their catalog, they're albums that are based on this long form storytelling that revolve around characters that he, you know, Dr. Funkenstein, for example. Nice. Um, you know, he, he would build these song structures, these albums that would be a song structure that would tell a story in the one, I think it's, I think it's the same album, Dr. Funkenstein, where the Sir Nose doesn't have any funk. But Dr. Funkenstein is going to use his bop gun to give him the funk. You know? Amazing. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's going to imbue this character that just does is non-funky. So great. With the funk. Just tour after tour, this stuff would, would, you know, he would build character on character. It unfortunately got to a point where they were doing so, so very much LSD that it was starting to lose its influence on them. Yikes. You've done so much of it that you now no longer get much of a psychedelic effect from it. I can't even Holy <laughs> imagine. And there's an incredible story from, I think, the 1980s when he was having a real problem with crack cocaine, particularly. And in order to keep it together for the tour, he had gotten cocaine, he had cooked it, and one of the rocks that he had he had cooked in this, in this batch was a large rock, the size of a butt of marble. He knew he was going to have to quit for the tour or the tour would go off the rails hard. 
And so for the entire tour, like a talisman, he held onto this marble-sized rock of crack. And that's sort of what allegedly got him through that tour. He would hold it in his hand and squeeze it and, you know, it became part of his ritual. And so, <laughs> you know, it goes on when he finally finished the tour and it was time to smoke it. He did so in a hotel room, which then caught on fire. But that's a whole <laughs> amazing, a whole other story. Yeah. What's better than funk? I love funk. I, yeah. I don't give funk enough of my time. Yeah. It sort of finds me every now and then. And I think, man, I love funk. I think a lot of people have the notion that funk is kind of disposable. It's a little bit like disco, that it's about dancing and there's not much more to it. That there's not uh... a great deal more more depth to it. And I really would encourage people to listen to Maggot Brain or to go and listen to some Parliament. Mothership Connection is a phenomenal album. And there's a number of phenomenal albums under the Parliament name. It's really amazing stuff. And there's so much there. And yep, there's a lot of fun. And there's, it sounds like as a live show, it was almost unparalleled. Like it really sounds like Kiss at their, at their best. Yeah. It, it sounds like it's it's that, or maybe it even surpasses that. But I, I would really recommend that people look a little further and dig a little deeper because the the thing that should stand out immediately is there's nothing fluffy or disposable about the song Maggot Brain. Uh, no. And I, want, I also would say that, well, you can almost pinpoint the year or the, or the era that this music came from in the same breath, it's, to me, it's timeless. Oh yeah. It's stuff that could come out yesterday and, yeah. and it would be every bit as incredible. Agreed. So yeah, there's, it's, that's funny. You even say that, that it, it's considered disposable because to me, it's so timeless. My God, man. Yeah. And it's not that I have anything against disco. We've talked about disco in the past. I, I like disco. I'm the same. I like disco too. I, the funk that we hear that, might be it might have less depth I, I like that too there's nothing wrong with that there's nothing wrong with music that's not wrestling with big questions but a lot more parliament and funkadelic is wrestling with big questions and you may simply not see it or or hear it without looking so much of so much of funkadelic's material came with really interesting liner notes that told stories almost like a comic strip and it really resonated with a lot of people. It was depictions of neighborhoods and cultures that wasn't getting a lot of play in any other media in the early 1970s to the mid-1970s. And so a lot of people really appreciated that. The after effects of Parliament and Funkadelic, I mean, they've been sampled by everyone. Oh, no doubt. Once sampling started, they were a pretty big source and everyone from public enemy to the West coast rappers, just about anyone you can think of that's West coast to digital underground, digital underground leaned hard on the P funk for good reason. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Some great sounds in there. My God. Do you want to tell the story of the video I sent you? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I wanted to actually ask you where that exactly came from because it's really interesting. It's this, it's almost a Cosby kids kind of animation. It's a little more polished than that. Did you recognize the voice for the narrator? It's Mike judge. 
Yes, I did notice that. Yeah, it's it's a series called Tales from the Tales from the Tour Bus. Tales from the Tour Bus. Yeah, and it talks about Parliament Funkadelic thing. Yeah, and well, as time continued, first they were the Parliaments, and then they were Funkadelic, and then they were Parliament, and then they were they just kept adding and changing yeah. the names because whatever they were doing selling in stores that was all legal you know we're this band on this label for for legal reasons and we're that band on that label yeah, for legal yeah. reasons and we're still another band on another label for legal reasons but when we tour it's all us it's all just yeah us all the same guys. so they would call themselves whatever p-funk the p-funk all-stars what was the one part Parla Funka. Yeah. Parla <laughs> Funka thing or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they made a mishmash of it. Yeah. Because it didn't matter. People knew who it was. Yeah. They knew what to expect. It didn't need to be perfectly branded when they came to your town because you knew. I guess the constant was, it was George Clinton and whoever else, you know, whatever yeah. year and whatever members they had at the time. Yeah. George Clinton was the band leader and-, yeah. and you know, there was, it sound. it sounds very much like Bootsy was there for a very long stay. But and that animation mm-hmm. is, is amazing. And yeah. there must be more of it. Oh, there's tons of it. Yeah. Cause it, it was just a short little thing that you had sent me. Yeah. They're, they're a band that's lived some crazy stuff. Yeah. So there's all kinds of animation. Well, the story about animation. driving into the, the town where they were filming night of the living dead and they pulled into this area and there's zombies everywhere and they're all high on LSD. And I mean, my (laughs) God, unbelievable. And, and just gripping stories. And true. And true. They thought they were taking a shortcut. They drove around a barricade (laughs) that he set up because of the filming. The filming. Yeah. They drove into an area where (laughs) zombies were suddenly surrounding (laughs) them and they had no idea. And they're tripping balls there's a busload of them and they have no idea what's going on and they got the hell out of there. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Really cool stuff. You should send me some more of those because yeah. I was loving that. It's neat that they're telling that story with animation. Yeah. That's what makes it so cool. George Clinton has, has written a biography, an autobiography. I think that would be very, a very, very interesting read. Oh yeah. I think there's probably just insane <laughs> LSD stuff fueled, that has gone on uh, you know music in the 70s yeah the story of all that would be amazing I'm sure well he he was so out there a dude that he was famous for furnishing his home with giant oversized stuffed animals rather than furniture <laughs> yeah dude walk the walk man yeah he really yeah, without did. question he really did. Incredible. Great stuff, man. Anyway, I hope people, I hope people, if, if it didn't grab you the first time, I really hope people go back and give it a second listen. Yeah, it's a long song. But as you said, when I decided to do Maggot Brain for this episode, uh, I put the earphones in, put the song on, and it just disappeared. I had no concept of where the time went. Yeah suddenly the song was winding down and I was like, oh, is this like the mid part where, no, no, this is the end of the song. I've been listening to this for 10 minutes. How did that happen? I did the same. The time flew by. It's incredible. And it's such a great album that it can go from that to effortlessly into really funky stuff. And it's really, really fun. I really like Hit It and Quit It. Yep. 
It's an amazing song. I really like Super Stupid. It's an amazing song too. There's just there's so much good material on that album. I've really been enjoying listening to it. I've listened to it through four or five times this week while preparing. And I just, oh man, <laughs> I love it. And the best part is I, I didn't know any of the backstory and they're so right. interesting a band. And I, I just, I, I guess I just figured, well, you know, they go by two now. I don't really understand. I don't know, but it's so interesting and there's so much there. And, and his life is so weird and so different from every buddy else's lived experience yeah no doubt george clinton is a strange fascinating man as you're talking about that listening to the album and into this song into that song i'm trying to i was actually racking my brain trying to figure out if i've ever heard a bad funk song right i'm sure there are many i'm sure many exist but i don't know that i've ever heard one it's just and i'm not sure you're going to hear a lot of really lousy parliament or funkadelic songs yeah they were a tight gifted group of musicians yeah no doubt when you have people that james brown kicked out and he kicked them out for doing lsd not for being <laughs> poor musicians bootsy collins is an exceptional musician yeah when when you have people that were good enough to play under james brown i mean do you need to say anything more yeah like that is not a guy that suffered you know anything that wasn't top-notch talent yeah. Great stuff, dude. Great stuff. Love it. We should wrap it up. Yeah, we should. All right. Uh, anything else to add? I guess just go back and listen to it a couple more times. Have an open mind for it and, and give it the time it deserves because it deserves it. There's no Perfect. doubt. Okay. Well, thanks for joining us. If you like what you hear, please consider following us. Until next time, keep listening to the music that means something. And always try and listen with an open mind. End communication.